my calculations are correct, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Hello and welcome again to another episode of 1001 by 1 where we take a movie out of the wonderful book 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And I am Ian Waddington. And as we do always, we will give you some recommendations for the week before we talk about our feature presentation. Ian, what do you got for us? Well, much like... The movie that we will talk about in the meat of the episode, I went in the Wayback Machine, and I found myself the spy who came in from the cold. I'm a big John Lacari fan, love his books, love all the George Smiley stuff, um, was especially impressed by, I don't know if you saw, the new version of Tinker Tailor. Yes, yeah, Oldman oh, and that, that whole, Gary, a huge cast. Yeah. yeah, Gary Oldman was just spectacular in that. that was, I feel like that was the part he was born to play. But in this film... The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. It is based on one of the George Smiley novels, though he does have a very small role in it. This is about Alec Lemus, who is a uh, kind of a washed-up serviceman. He's uh, he's a head of a station. He's out there in, uh, in Berlin dealing with the back and forth of, of handling agents across the wall and things like that. And he... Uh, he is set up at the beginning by the character named Control, who is the, the head of the British Secret Service in this world, and uh, is kind of put undercover in a way to draw out an enemy agent who has been sabotaging them for years. The uh, Alec Lemus part is played by Richard Burton, and okay. he just absolutely shines in this. He's fantastic in it. I, having, having read the book as well, I totally bought him as Lemus. He's fantastic in it. And there's a whole thing where he goes as, as part of his cover goes and works at a library and gets involved with this young girl who has communist ties and it's just it's a really good quick little black and white gem from 1964 they're big the big ad advertising campaign at the time was forget about bond kind of thing because this was in this was in bond's heyday this sure. was 1964 when oh. goldfinger came out yeah yeah and so take a look at the world of spies as it really is. Because, I mean, John le Carre was, not, and not taking anything away from Ian Fleming, he handled agents as well. And yeah, yeah. That's part of why he wrote Bond is to kind of get some of that out of his system. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Because he never got to go into the field himself, but le Carre did. And so he kind of wrote with a more insightful view than Fleming did. And he was lauded by the Secret Service for it, you know, for, for calling out their, their flaws and, and things like that. Especially yeah. in another book that he wrote, The Looking Glass War, which does not paint the British Secret Service in a good light at all. And uh, I hear the movie, I haven't seen The Looking Glass War, the film version. It had a very young Tony Hopkins in it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, uh, early 1970s. I, I've heard of what you're talking about, the, the Looking Glass one I've never heard of. No, I, I hear it's very, very dry. Sure pretty tough to watch but the spy who came in from the cold i definitely recommend that anybody looking for a great little black and white gem looking for a little bit of a thriller dealing with you know some of that cold war angst and things like that it's fantastic perfect Love every minute of it great what do you have for us today adam so a couple of weeks ago i talked about how much i loved the raid i was blown away by that movie and this is a good opportunity just for for us to correct ourselves i think we both incorrectly called it a korean film it is in fact indonesian but I interrupted. I apologize. No, it's all good. It's all good. And I was just blown away by it. I, I totally loved it. 
Melissa loved it. It was a movie that we just enjoyed the hell out of watching. Oh, did you watch the sequel? That is what I'm talking about now, is the second one, The Raid 2. I'm excited to hear about this. I I hear the sequel is fantastic. It is really good. and Super long, though, right? It's two and a a half hours. It's long. It definitely... Where the I would say the first movie kind of lacks a plot. It's there's one there, but it's not you know. It's more of a framework for to, exa- to build action exactly. sequences around. And this movie is still in that world. Our detective that we're following, he has to go undercover to help bring down the some of the big bosses that are in control of the guns and the drugs and what's going on. And so he he has to go into prison to help build up his his rep, and he befriends the son of one of the kingpins. And there's a lot of menacing figures, and there is really a, a, a lot of plot going on because the son of the kingpin wants to rise up. He wants to make a name for himself, but his dad doesn't think he's ready. And his dad is taking a shine to our detective who's undercover. And there's a bad guy who wears a glove, and he's kind of a kind of a weird, creepy figure who is trying to maneuver his own his own crew of people into this territory. It sounds like we're slipping into, plot-wise, we're slipping into something like Eastern Promises a little bit. A little bit, yeah. But don't worry, we don't lose any of that amazing fight choreography. There is a huge, huge fight scene that happens when they're uh, at prison because to help make a name for himself, he defends the son of this guy who's also in prison. That's sort of his, he's gonna, he's gonna make friends with him. And he saves this guy from getting killed, which turns into this epic fight that goes from, and it's raining outside, that goes onto this field that ends up just being a muddy mess. And it is beautifully violent. It is just gorgeously choreographed. There are moments where you're in it because the, the choreography is so quick and so concise. And then there's moments where you see bone because it's just something got hit, you know, and it's, you gasp. And it was a it was a weekend where we didn't have the girls, so our reactions were very loud because I think we're waking up for all the times that we've watched movies with the girls, yeah. and we have to react like this. Oh, no, don't do it! And we were we just were. Yeah, it was great. It's, so so blowing it up lengthwise and and expanding it from because the whole thing sprawls out eventually across the whole city, right? Yes. So that didn't take anything away from no the impact of the first one. No. That's, well, that's good to hear. No, it's, I still haven't seen the second one. I'm looking forward and, to it. And because, you know, because we get out of the building, you know, we get some pretty cool car chases, too. Because we've got these different locations, some of the fights look different. And how and you know, there's some great scenes. Like, there's a scene in the rain and the mud. There's, some, there's a scene in the snow. There's a pretty cool chase scene going on. A couple other cool hallway fights, as you would, as you would get. It's... It's in that same. It's it's just like the raid. It's like John Wick. If you're looking for an entertaining, well-made Gareth Evans, like I never heard of this guy. He made he made both of them. He, I hope he keeps making movies like this because they are really good. I think he had I think he had something premiere at the London Film Festival. I I don't recall the name of it, but he's uh he's he's definitely making a name for himself, which is good to hear. So if they were to round this out with a trilogy, I'm going to assume that you would be. They're waiting on bated breath. Yeah, yeah, I would because they and they with well, no, no, I would say without making it obvious. No, they they make it pretty obvious that they're going to make a third one. Oh, that's awesome. just the way that it ends. It's very, it's a very open ended movie, and I love that this kind of big white guy is the one making them. I think he's Welsh. He's still white. <laughs> well, we won't hold that against him. No, no, no. White men are having a really hard time of things right now. Please give us some slack. Oh jeez! You can't see the face I'm making. I'm being. I'm very much being no, ironic he, he, right now. He, yeah. 
He made an, a Netflix movie called Apostle that's out right now. Oh, that's right. That and I think it. it maybe I'm wrong in the, in the sense that it premiered in at the London Film Festival. But What's so it's so it could have. Yeah, but it, it looked really cool, and that looks like it's it's. I I really enjoy those cult folk horror films. Sure. Like I think I've mentioned the Wicker Man before, but yeah. I'm excited to see the Apostle for those reasons, as it looks like it's going to delve into that kind of territory. Yeah, it should be good. So this is a very special episode. This is our 10th episode. Hey, we've, we made a, it. We've, we've made it this far. We hit a landmark. And so we decided that we wanted to have you, our audience, help pick which movie that we wanted to do for our 10th episode. And so we decided to put up a poll of number one box office movies of the 80s, and then we narrowed it down to comedies. So you had the choices between Beverly Hills Cop and our eventual winner, and the film we'll be talking about today, Back to the future and you have spoken thus we will talk to you about this wonderful wonderful film i can't even hear the name without hearing alan silvestri's score i really can't i can't think of it without thinking of the way doc says it we're gonna send him back to the future right i just i love it yeah christopher lloyd is just he's the man in this so um back to the future 1985 directed by robert zemeckis written by bob gale and robert zemeckis Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Crispin Glover, Leah Thompson, Thomas F. Wilson. Those are our main cast of the movie. Produced by Steven Spielberg. Of course, yes. Who wasn't, I, I just found this out recently, wasn't the original, they, they went to Spielberg. They went to him, but they didn't want to rely right. on his name. Just having their famous friend well, making because, movies. And also him. because they had made two films beforehand. Which are both flopped. Yes, and so they didn't, they didn't want to make a third flop with Steven Spielberg and of course they tried to pitch it around nobody was picking it up Disney Disney in fact were one of the few people that called out hey you guys are really getting close to the whole incest thing well you know what was funny is that this is too incesty for us all the other the places that said no were saying no because it wasn't raunchy enough it wasn't Porky's right it wasn't this kind of that's what everybody wanted at the time yes this is 1983 yeah yeah and then you know you go to Disney because really there's there's some swearing in it you know that comes out but it's not that it's a, it's a pretty tame movie. Yeah, but Disney make hard R's. I mean, they have their touchstone banner that. Well, sure, but it's not under the Disney umbrella. Like, right. and and I don't think back then I don't think Disney was the conglomerate that it is now. Right. I don't know. I doubt that Disney had any of that kind. Disney was probably just Disney. Yeah. Disney was struggling on its own. Yeah. They didn't quite get. They they hadn't gotten to the Little Mermaid yet, and their resurgence in right. animated films. So yeah. they were, they weren't doing so hot. This could have been. A nail in the coffin for them had they made this. Well, they're horrible. In the way they were viewing it, it could have been the thing that also helped them get out sooner. Obviously, knowing how successful Back to the Future ended up being. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Accolades, I mean, jeez. It was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, original screenplay. Okay, I'm going to stop right now. i got to stop right now because it lost original screenplay. What did it lose to? Witness. I'm totally okay with that. That it lost to Witness? I'm 100% okay with that. I hate you right now witness is one of my absolute favorite films it's not just of the 80s fine movie oh i hate i know you do it's oh my god it's okay (sighs) whatever just let it happen i'm just gonna let let it it i'm just gonna let it be i love witness i wish witness was in the book i'm gonna go never i won't go on that tangent i love witness it it was nominated for sound mixing one sound effects it was nominated for best song power of love which I swear to God, if I hear Lewis that song one more and time. The news. I have two karaoke go-tos. Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks 
and Power of Love by Jesus Hugh Lewis in the News. Christ. It and you hate me for liking Witness. Oh, no, 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 no. Power of Love is an awful song, but it is a ridiculous song to sing. Yeah. Nominated for a bunch of BAFTAs, Best Film Editing, Original Screenplay again, National Board of Reviews Top 10. Hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? It seems like every film that we've done so far has been, so why not? Yeah, it was. 2007, <laughs> Library of Congress threw that in there. Um, it was nominated for a Writers Guild nomination, and as we mentioned earlier, it was the biggest box office smash of 1985. Do you know what it beat? Did you take a look at the yearly breakdown? I did, but I, I can't remember. So it beat not one, but two Sylvester Stallone movies. God, good. Rocky Four. And First Blood Part... I've got the, the wrong order there. I think number two was Rambo First Blood Part 2, and Rocky Four was number three that year. Well, I'm I'm glad it beat it. I, there's, there's a soft spot in my heart for Rocky Four. But oh, again, no, no. I, don't, I don't need any more hatred coming across the table for me for Rocky Four. No, 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 no. <laughs> in my opinion, there's Rocky One, Rocky Four, and Creed. Those are the, those are the Rocky wow, movies. Wow, you're going to gonna skip right over three, huh? Mr. T and... And Mickey's death? It goes Rocky, Creed, Rocky Four, Rocky Two, Rocky Balboa, Rocky oh, Three, no. Rocky Five. Well, yeah, I agree with Rocky Five being at the bottom of the pile. Of course, because it's a, it's a shit show. It's garbage. It's utter garbage. But two, two doesn't deserve as much hate as it, does, as it gets because it really deals with somebody. Rocky Two? Rocky Two. I think Rocky Two is fine. Yeah. But it's it's further down on your list. It was above Rocky Balboa and Rocky Three. Oh, that, oh, right. We're not talking about Rocky. No, we're getting. We're really talking about this here. wonderful movie called Back to the Future. <laughs> it grossed uh, two hundred and ten million dollars domestically. It grossed three hundred and fifty million dollars worldwide, and spawned obviously uh, two more sequels. Do we want to talk about the sequels now, or do we want to talk Let's about the just sequels get it later? Okay, Ian, what is your view of Back to the Future Two and Back to the Future Three? I actually really like to. Thank God! Oh my God! I'm so sorry. When you were listening to this, you might have had an eardrum rupture just then. I feel like everybody hates the second one. And for no good goddamn reason. I think it is so goddamn smart. Yeah. It's so what it does. So here's, here's what it does for me. In the same way that Godfather 2 builds on the world and, and makes good on some of the stuff that was talked about in the first Godfather and we get to see you know these characters younger and we get to understand their motivations and why they've done certain things. Back to the Future Part 2 makes good on all those promises that Doc Brown makes about how messed up things can get yeah. when you play with time. The whole linchpin of the second one being that almanac and how the almanac completely breaks the space-time continuum. Yeah. I love that. That's genius. The movie starts in 1985. They go into the future to 2015. Then they come back to a different 85 that's been skewed because of the almanac. In which Doc Brown has to draw that great and little I love shot. it. Yeah. I, and I, I think one of the biggest pet peeves this movie gets is that, it, that people say it's it's overly complicated. No, no. Not really. And then so we go from that alter, alternate 1985 back to 1955 where we basically first saw no Marty you've got to go back to the start point so you can unbreak time it makes perfect sense it's wrong with and i people. love how creative they are with working around the michael j fox that's already there and the one that's come from the future to oh he's, he's got that great bit where he's like there are now two of you here and there are now two of me where he's like building himself up into a fervor 
Uh, that's Christopher Lloyd doing some of his best acting right there in part I, two. I really, really... And I, they really they really give him so much to do in the second one. It's perfect. I think... So, if Back to the Future is at 100, I'm putting I'm putting Back to the Future part two at, like, a 98. Yeah. I... I, I really think it's it's on the same... I mean, it's just, just a notch below. No, part three. I think it's a train wreck. Ha-ha! Hey, there it is. Yeah. It can go back from the pit of hell from whence it came. I hate the third one. I don't... I cannot stand it. I don't... I don't understand why. I mean, I know they drop hints here or there as like, oh, Doc Brown is obsessed with the West. And... Well, I know that they have to... They have to they pepper finish it. Just right. obviously the way that it, the part two ends... And they do, but... With that great line, I'm back from the future. Oh, the way it ends? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's great. That's great. So anyways, yeah, the, the third sequels. one's garbage. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, where do you want to start with this movie? I, I, I'll tell you what. I don't have a quote. I know I, in these in these episodes we've been throwing out quotes from uh, some critics that we find that we either like or don't like. I didn't find one specifically, but in, Re- in Variety's review... Uh, they called out the relationship between Doc and Marty having an air or being reminiscent of the relationship in uh, between Arthur and Merlin, which I had never drawn that comparison before. Yeah, I, and that, I, I, that's a really cool way of looking at it. Yeah, it's, I think so. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just it just really struck a chord with me. I like that. Uh, and while we're talking about uh, reviews, uh, 96% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, and the audience is not far behind it, 94%. And it currently sits number 42 on the IMDb Top 250. How do you feel about that? Because for me, it's a little high. Oh, that's... I don't know. Again, I think... You know, when I think about what's the number one movie on their list, Shawshank Redemption, I think that what Shawshank Redemption does is it it bridges the gap between a good movie that that critics enjoyed and an audience-pleasing movie. I think Back to the Future is similar in that sense. Yeah. The critics enjoyed it and audiences loved it. And so I think it's up there because, again, you don't. I think you could just go into IMDb and vote, right? They, yeah. I don't, they have an algorithm and they do whatever. But do I think it's a little high? Maybe. But I think there's a lot I'm of nostalgia su- feeding how high it is. Sure, but I'm also surprised a movie like this isn't on the AFI Top 100. I think that it. I think it should. Oh well, yeah. And if you look at it from the sense that, because there's nothing but. Amer- is there? I haven't looked honestly at the American at the American Film Institute's list. Is it nothing but American films? American produced. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so okay, so this film is so distinctly American, and it so much captures. And this is what I, I'll just jump into it now. I was going to get into it in the meat of the podcast, but what this film does so well is captures the nostalgia that people felt for the fifties in the eighties. And you mentioned I mean, you actually mentioned that in our very first podcast when you talk about Stand by Me, right? Yeah, no, and that's you could tell that there was a longing for simpler times. Do you know what I mean? And that's what this film does so well because you look at the way that they design that courtyard sort of set, the the town square, yep. right? And the '80s is so kind of over the top filthy. Oh, well, there seems to be a porn theater on like every corner. Right, exactly. There's it's like, and uh, there's uh, what, like what bail bonds. The, yeah, there's a what is the Amer- orgy American style is showing on that theater in this small town, little California. Hill Valley. Yeah, man. Hill Valley is just a filthy, filthy place filled with filthy people. I guess. Apparently. But not in the 50s it wasn't. No. It's pristine. Yeah. And they just tolerated, you know, we'll jump straight to the end of the movie. They just tolerated a little bit of rape every once in a while. But I'm not going to do the whole rape culture thing of the 80s in this podcast. We're not, let's not do that. You know, it's funny. In a movie that 
has been called by a lot of people like a perfect movie. Its screenplay is taught in, in film classes all over the country. There's a moment early on, and trust me, I, I, this might be the only thing I nitpick about this movie because I, I love this movie. But there's a moment early on, it's before Marty and Jennifer are walking around the, that town square, and it's before she gets picked up, and they're walking through, and Marty blatantly looks at two women passing by. Yeah. And that's one of those, I mean, you know, you have to see that through, through 2018 eyes. Like, that's just kind of a not great thing to do. Right. Literally, as your 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 arm is around your, your current girlfriend. So I guess maybe we should talk about it then. Uh, as far as, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, rape culture in the news, especially in the 80s, as far as, you know, films like uh, 16 Candles, which was in the news a little while back with uh, Molly Ringwald talking about how she did feel that, you know, it was the, the wrong position to take as far as what that film says about rape culture. I don't know if you have any thoughts or want to add anything to that as far as at least what Back to the Future, because Back to the Future does do something similar. Yeah. You're talking about with Biff and Lorraine. Right. Yes. You know, I, I, what I hate is the excuse of, oh, that was just, those were just the, that's just the, that was just the, the, the eighties or that's just what we did back then. That's just yeah. what it was. Um, because there always seems to be some, some blatant excuse like that. Boys will be boys. Right. And, I don't buy it. I don't think it's it's a good excuse. No. Now, at least in Back to the Future, what we're seeing is that it's it's not tolerated by like the women. Like like you know, Lorraine is not for this. It's not yeah. like you know, he's 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 manhandling me, but he's he's it's because he cares. You know, yeah. there's not there's no there's none of that. Yeah. She is not for it. And justice it, is served. I mean, Chris Oh, comes around like a badass and punches him out. Absolutely. Uh, but the thing that, and we'll jump, again, just jump straight into the end of the movie, when he comes back to the new 1985 that he has created in meddling in the events of these, Biff is still, for some reason, in their lives. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's subservient to them, and he's waxing their car, and, and what that line, that, that throwaway line where Chris McGlover is just like, oh, that Biff, he's always trying to get away with something. Yeah. Like, no, dude, this guy tried to rape your wife. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, it, it's... There's high school guys who are trying to hook up with women. And then there are high school guys who are forcing themselves on women. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the dating world consists of somebody trying to start a relationship. And I think that's that's the one side of the coin that, you know, I'm going to make a move and, and see if it works. And if it doesn't, okay, then that's when I'm done. I'm yeah. going to take the social cue and go, okay, cool. That's yeah. not that's not going to be a thing. And there's people like like Biff who just say, no, 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 I'm just going to force my will upon you and you're going to deal with it. Yeah. Which is great. And it's great, obviously, that it doesn't work out, that he does get that punch and that George gets the courage to punch him in the face. Yeah. I'm just going to say one political thing and then we'll let it go. We'll get back to the movie. Do people really want Biff Tannen on the Supreme Court? And now we'll move on. (laughs) That, That was my political two cents. I've been waiting this whole episode to say that. Now we'll move on. I don't. Okay, very good. So, I think what I I like is that this movie started from such a kind of innocent and sweet standpoint. Bob Gale being back home and going through his dad's yearbook and finding out that he was class president. And, mm-hmm. you know, this simple question of, you know, would I, have, would I have gotten along with my dad if I'd gone to high school with him? And How would you answer that question, by the way? I think I would have. Okay. My dad still, he, you know, my parents aren't very old. And I think he still acts like a high schooler sometimes. Okay. I don't mean that as an insult, but, you know, I think he just... <laughs> is he going to listen to this? Yeah. 
No, I, I, I would I would say it to That's him. Great. I don't mean that he's childish. I just yeah, you yeah. know he's he's not married. He's not he's young. You know yeah. he's gonna you know he's doing fine. Yeah. But no, we, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. Oh no, no I I'm not worried about it. Um, but no, and we you know he he was big into baseball, mm. and I and I was too for a yeah. while. I do wonder, you know, because eventually I skewed towards theater. So I wonder if, you know, towards like the latter years of high school, if we would have been. That probably would have been the diverging point. Yeah, probably. What about you? Probably not. <laughs> like, I love my dad. He's a very sweet man, but probably not. Sure. There's no, no, there's, you know. Yeah. And then, um, and the one thing too, because I, so I watched this movie this time with Theta Trivia Track oh, okay. on, on the Blu-ray. So I was like, cool. So this is the, I'm assuming you've got the 25th anniversary. There's some great trivia. Did you go through and watch all that huge, long Tales from the Future documentary? There's some great stuff in there. There was. Yeah. Um, And I loved that they were talking about the the index card method. Do you remember this? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this idea that, okay, we want want Marty to invent rock and roll. And that's that's one index card. And so there's got, before that index card, there's got to be an index card that says Marty likes rock and roll, right? right? So that we have these plants and payoffs. Yeah. And this movie is so good with all of those. Oh, no. It it makes good on a lot of those promises that they set up in the 80s. It's so great. You know, we, we get the... And there's no, like, wasted exposition. You know, I slipped... No. You know, here's a, here's a date in science history, November 5th, 1955, and we get the little bit about that to come up with the flux capacitor, happens to punch it in, and of course, when he goes back, he knows to go find Doc Brown, who has the current gash on his head from when he slipped off the toilet. Yeah. There's not a wasted moment in this movie. It's ex- it's extremely clever writing. I can't take anything away from Zemeckis and Gale about the way they wrote this thing. And even just the little thing about Jennifer writing I love you and the phone number on the back of the flyer that just happens to say and when the f- lightning's going to strike. Right. It be it would be one thing if there was just one or two coincidences, but the movie is so smart that you buy every single one. Right. Which is just fantastic. Yeah. And I forgot how quickly it moves. Yeah. I, oh, I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah. It, you know what's funny? Back to the Future, the trilogy, in the whole trilogy, this and the the Harry Potter movies. These are the movies that, when unfortunately we have to move from like apartment to apartment when we've done it in the past, and you're at that point where you've got so much to unpack and you want something on, but you don't want to like watch it, but you want yeah. something that you've watched enough that you can you hear that it. Comforting kind of yeah yeah. Back to the Future, the trilogy is that. Oh, okay. so. I watched it probably about two years ago, the last time that we, we had to move, but it's just such a comforting, you know, yeah, it's nostalgic, but it's so well written. It's so well acted. Mm. And Michael J. Fox is so great in this movie. And I loved hearing the reasons for why Eric Stoltz, who was originally cast. I can't believe how much they shot with him before they addressed that. Yeah. Because, I mean, you have something similar in Apocalypse Now where they shot less than two weeks with Harvey Keitel before they were like, no, 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 this isn't working. They yeah. went a full five weeks yeah. with Eric Stoltz. I'm like, I'm kind of a little bit of weakness, I think, on Robert Zemeckis' part there. Calling out, if, like, if this wasn't working on day one with everything that's writing on this film and the amount of money that's being poured into it, you, okay, yeah, maybe give him a couple days to come around, but you spent five weeks with the guy. If you couldn't figure it out after the first week... Yeah. What are you doing, man? Well, and it's funny because in the documentaries on the on the Blu-ray, they don't show any like any clips with him talking or like any extended takes. Yeah. But they do they do show you know. Yeah. There's the, the scene at the diner where he first meets his dad yeah. as a young man. 
Well, and there's there's a shot of him when it he's when Marty McFly has made it to the fifties and he's kind of stumbling through the 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 big town square, where when we see Michael J. Fox do it, he's in awe, but it's not like a scary awe. He's still trying to like he's like what what is going on? That scene of Eric Stoltz doing it, it looks like the apocalypse is happening. Yeah, it's so serious. Yeah. And that's the, the general vibe from Zemeckis and Bob Gale and Spielberg is that, you know, Eric Stoltz is a fine actor, but it wasn't, we weren't, they weren't, the comedy wasn't landing. Yeah, it's just not, he's a fine actor, but just not for this role. And I also love what they said about Michael J. Fox in terms of that. He's not there for the punchline. It's not like he's saying anything really funny. It's, he's a reactive character. Yeah. And the, the well, the, the best acting is, re- is reacting. Right? Yeah. Well, it's honest because you're just responding to what's happening. You're not trying to be funny. You're just you're just responding. And the the clip that they were talking about at the moment was when they're all at the dinner table when he's back in the fifties with his with his mom, who's and now she his squeezes age. Squeezes his leg. Yeah, it's like I gotta go. And it's so great. It is so great because he's not trying to be funny. That's the reaction you would do. And yeah. then you're out of there. And it's and there are funny moments. There are funny little quips. I love the bit with um when he's when he's walking to the table. It's like so you're my uncle Joey. Better get used to these bars, kid. Yeah. I love again another plant and payoff that we get from the birthday or the the cake that we see at the very beginning of the movie. Oh, your your uncle Joey didn't make parole again. It's ah, oh, I'm gushing about this movie because it's so good. You say should, something. Shall we find something? So we find something to critique about it, please. I'm wondering how much of an Oedipus complex Bob Gale has. Sorry, did I go too far? Did I like I was looking for a critique? Maybe I went off the deep end there. Because he's talking about how he's wondering what his dad was like in school, and yet there's this, uh, you know, Disney rejected the film because of uh, the the line they straddled with the whole incest thing. So I'm I'm wondering if, uh, if well, Bob, see, <laughs> you know what now, I mean. Now I'm wondering: is it Bob Gale or is it Robert Zemeckis? Because in the documentary, Robert Zemeckis was talking about how much he thought the best line in the movie was when Lorraine says, "When I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my brother." Yeah, there it is. So. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it is a Mecca's thing because I know that uh, I know that in the documentary again that Bob Gale reacted very strongly to when Universal per- first put up the poster and the poster had the tagline, "Are you telling me my mom's got the hots for me?" Which, what? What were you thinking? Yeah, that's like, not. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. No. <laughs> I feel like a running theme of what we've talked about in a lot of these podcasts is how bad the marketing for movies can be. It's. It can be genuinely awful. I think the worst offender while we're thinking about bad marketing, the remake of Clash of the Titans. Remember the the trailer for that showed the whole goddamn movie. Oh well, sure, yeah. I, that's and if you want to contrast that, I think one of the best trailers I've ever seen is for uh, Clint Eastwood's Changeling, the Angelina Jolie one. That movie can, is so underrated. It really is. I love that. And movie. the trailer shows nothing but shots from the first hour of that film. And it's a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. So you don't get the whole second two acts of that film at all from any of the marketing. I was blown away by it. Anyway, we're yeah digressing again about how bad marketing can be. Yep. But the marketing for this, that poster, you want to talk about something that's so iconic about this film is that poster. And they went through a lot of drafts yeah. of that poster too, what and, it was going to look like. And it, it looks great. And of course, uh, the, the continuing theme, the way they have the posters with the second one, Doc is with him. Because Doc actually goes with him this and time. Then, and then, then like, Mary Steenburgen. Because yeah. <laughs> they needed the third person to yeah. be on it. Because this is number three. got to have three people. Uh, yeah. I get, I get it, but... Yeah. That third one's just not good. It's No, it really isn't. 
Uh, unsung hero of this film for me, because I know I bring them up in, in a few episodes here or there, Crispin Glover. The amount that he has to do in this film is incredible. And the, the, the beats that he has to hit, like, timing-wise. Yeah. And, and I really buy him as the lame old dad. I think it's fantastic. I I was talking about this movie with, with some people recently, and they they were slightly older than me. They were about our age or slightly younger when the movie came out. So it was okay. right in their wheelhouse. Like, yeah. they saw it. And they kind of thought the makeup was kind of ridiculous and stuff. And watching it again... I thought the makeup was really good. Well, and some, I, some of it. I think Lorraine, especially Lorraine in uh, the first time we see her in the 80s when she's kind of drinking and she's yeah. not very happy. That's Leah Thompson's performance of, of her character older in life in the first part is great. That really, you buy that she's that really tired old mom who and, really made some bad decisions. And she, oh my God, it's... It actually is so heartbreaking when she she has her drink in her hand and she's trying to remember the good times of the the enchantment under the sea dance and, yeah. and when she says that's when I knew this was the man I was gonna be with for the rest of my life and it cuts to him doing that awful dad laugh yes it's so good so the, when we talk about the makeup though bad ma- makeup and I think this is where the film really suffers from having gone through so many iterations on on home video is now finally having something on on blu-ray having something that's either a 1080 image or a 4k image or something like that yeah that chicken neck that doc has in the 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 1985 sequence where he's first introducing the car and the concept of time travel that's really bad well but he's supposed to be in rubbery in his 60s yeah but it just looks bad and 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 some of the effects in general have just suffered because now the movie's too clean and so you can see you know, you can see the edges. You can see well, sure. some of the rotoscoping, especially in the scene where they've got the flames going between their legs. I was going to say, when they're, they're clearly standing on them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that doesn't bug me. And maybe it's just because, you yeah. know, you've seen it so many times. Yeah, it's a nitpicky thing. Oh, I mean, no, totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean, and I, I totally. You could only do what you could do. And you can't take anything away from this film as far as the special effects are concerned because they were, they were pi- Zemeckis is a pioneer in that film, much in the same way. Like Cameron, James Cameron is only Cameron gets way more credit for it, but the stuff that he did in two, you know, the stuff they were doing with the hoverboards, and then a couple of years later when he made, uh, well, no, not a couple of years later because Back to the Future Two was eighty nine. So before that, in between the Back to the Futures when he made Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I don't think is in the book. Oh, Ian, that's a perfect segue because we were going to talk about the other two films that Robert Zemeckis has done that are in the book. One of which is Oh, it is Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and the other one being Forrest Gump. But both of those movies, I feel like he he's pushing the maybe not as much as James Cameron, but he is starting to push push the edges of what you can do visually. Well, Well, what what he had to ask of Bob Hoskins to do in Hugh Frame Roger Rabbit is monumental. Yeah, I don't know who else would have had the patience to go through what it would have taken to do that. Bob Hoskins. He's incredible in that. He really is. And not enough gets said about what he has to do. Yeah. Because everybody's so focused on, you know, the cartoon characters and the plot and what's going on. But Bob Hoskins has to almost carry that film on his performance. Because the, the the film lives or dies on how well he has to react oh, yeah. to what's going on around him. Yeah. yeah in, in a world where nothing like that had really ever been done before. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. it's a visually impressive film. Yeah. And entertaining too. He's he's one of the guys when he went when he died, uh, twenty, I can't remember now if it was twenty four. I did feel that, yeah, a little bit. That that stung a bit. Bob Hoskins is one of those guys I'm really gonna miss on screen. 
he's one of those guys who never got, I think, the actual recognition that he deserved. Well, he has. No, he uh, he got the he got nominations for Mona Lisa. I don't think he actually won anything for it, unless it was just the BAFTA. I don't think he won anything for it stateside. No, he didn't. No, no, he he was nominated for the he didn't win though. Yeah. I don't know what year that was, so I can't. Eighty-six. Tell he either if it was eighty-six, he probably lost to uh, Paul Newman for um, Color of Money. Yeah, which I mean, what are you gonna do? That was that was Paul Newman's makeup Oscar. For, yeah, for missing it how countless times. Before, yeah, yeah. It, it was just Newman's time. Yeah, there anyway, we digressing again as we do. Well, yeah, you know, we're talking about movies. One of my favorite gags in this is uh, the Strickland character. Yeah, he, do- he doesn't get any age makeup. No, between the eighties, he's and the 50s. just old. Yeah, I I love that. He's I don't know old. why that just tickles his suit me. is old. Yeah, he... uh, no, it's the same suit. Is it I the think. same suit? I'm pretty sure it's. God, I hope it's it is. at least the same color. Yeah, you know what I mean. I absolutely love that they it, for some reason I don't know it just tickles me that Strickland is the only guy that doesn't get age makeup well and I think one of the things about the franchise that I'll say that I, I really love is how much attention to detail that they did and watching the trivia track so we see the the truck pull up you know it's like oh, look at that 4 by 4 and on the side it says Strickland Toyota mm-hmm. and in Back to the Future Part 3 Strickland Farms sells horses oh there you go just and, the little things that they built and, throughout and, the franchise and, and trust me i wrote down like five to ten of those kind of things but like you know it's introduced in in, in the first part and then it comes in either part two or part three that i'm not gonna say but trust me when i say that there is a lot of them and that's what makes this movie so good is every little detail matters and is given attention and when all those little details come together it makes this this wonderful movie. You know, we we still need to talk about what's that? The the character of the the car. I mean, the car is a character in and of itself. Oh I mean, yeah, the entrance into that film. I was blown away. Again, it's been a few years since I've seen it, but I was still blown away by the way they introduced the car. Now, you know, that's the first time we hear uh, Sylvester's score. Yeah, is is the the psh, yeah the, the back way of the drop. Com- yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know, this time I I'm finding myself that I'm getting a little hypercritical of scores. I know it's an iconic one. I know it's up there with Jaws and the you know the march from Empire Strikes Back and all that other stuff like that. It's a bit much in places. Yeah, it does. It, it does a, certainly it's a, help. It's a big score. Cater us along and, and yeah. you know help. It helps certainly guide our emotional mm. responses to what's going on. But it, I think that's what I almost think that's what makes this movie this weird. It's not quite an epic. Yeah. But it almost is. They're, they're, it's like they're reaching for that. Yeah, and if if the movie wasn't about time traveling and and you know and the stakes are you know the stakes are that if you don't get your parents back together you're gonna be erased from existence. So the stakes are are big. They're huge. They're as big as it gets. Yeah, it's and I don't think and I think instead of going away from it, Back to the Future steers right into the melodrama, and it's a part of you know again what kind of makes it work. So while you're while you're still gushing over this. I know we both are, but while you're still gushing over it, what's your favorite scene? Can can you pick a favorite scene? That's a that's a good tough question. And segue, how many times conservatively do you think you've seen it? I would say I've seen the first Back to the Future at least twenty times. I'm I'm pretty close. I give or take, I must be right in there. I mean, because every this time... was my favorite film at eight or nine years old. Oh, it's I mean, yeah. absolute favorite film. Like when you're you're out in the backyard and you're 
you know, you're playing with your friends, you know, some kids wanted to be Han Solo, some kids wanted to be Luke Skywalker. No, screw that. I'm going to be Marty McFly, man. Oh, of course. I'm going to be a time traveler. You have a damn right. In a, in a sweet-ass DeLorean that I know can't do 88 in reality, but yeah. when it does, you'll see some serious shit. Oh, that's one of the best that line. lines in the movie. That's such oh, an iconic so line. so great. But um, anyway, your favorite scene. And, and the gag there... You know, I just offhandedly mentioned the, the DeLorean, if it can actually do 88, which is, is kind of a great little joke in itself. I don't know if you know much about DeLoreans, but they were super underpowered. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, that's, that's part of the gag there is like, this thing can't do 88 without falling apart. So yeah, it'll do 88, and then it'll send you back in time. <laughs> I, I think, it, it, I don't know if this counts as one scene or not, so I'm, I'm going to be cheating a little bit, but... George McFly finding Marty and being told Darth Vader told me that if I didn't ask out Lorraine that my, you know, my brain would melt or whatever the response oh, is. Oh, he's like, and let's keep that brain melting stuff to ourselves. Yes. So we go into the diner. Oh, I give know. me a milk. Chocolate. And it slides right to him yeah. and he's trying to build up his confidence. And he says that, that, that Lorraine, you're my density. Yeah. The way he flubs that line is yes. perfect. And then Biff comes in. Yeah. And the whole thing kind of gets, you know, and then Marty stands up and then the chasing that follows because I love that he basically invents the skateboard and that great shot of the car pushing him. He jumps, walks over the car, lands on the skateboard as the car runs in to the manure. It's not all one scene, but it but is. It's it's, a, it's one yeah. whole sequence of it's it's yeah. a sequence of events, and that probably is my favorite part of the movie. I, and I, that's what I'm talking about with the what Crispin Glover has to do there in that stuff. The, why he's the unsung hero. That that little moment of confidence. I'm with him the whole way. I'm like, yeah, George, do it. And he, the way that the milk slides into his hand and kind of sloshes over. I love that little detail. And, and I don't know if you if you've noticed this. And I noticed this probably four or five viewings ago, and I I see it every time now. So Marty, this is the cool. He kicks up the skateboard and gives it back to the kid. And one of Lorraine's friends goes, "Who is that?" And she goes, "I don't know." But I'm going to find out. And she's just so dead set on it. It's a tight shot. And you can see some of the other people that work there, there. But I don't know. George McFly is in the background. Yeah. And he's looking all sheepishly. And he kind of, he just creeps out of the scene. Yeah. But it's not given any attention. And if right. you're not looking. You don't even see it. You won't. But it's also, again, another, another like soul crushing, like, God, this guy just can't get a break. It's Although, a, it's, again, it's kind of tough because he is a peeping Tom. Yeah. Again, with that, that's a, no. He's a whatever. I think we get that early on too when it's it's in the, the original 1985 and she's like, what were you doing looking for birds? And his response is, what? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I, I love Crispin Glover. And the thing that disappoints me about Crispin Glover in this film is uh, the ego that this kind of that built in him, the reason why he's not in. I mean, his character is in too, but that's not the same actor. Yeah, playing the the older George McFly when they go to 2015 because he I guess he demanded a massive paycheck. I heard about that based on on how popular the film had been. I think he he demanded more than what Michael J. Fox was going to get paid. Have you seen the clips of him like on talk shows in the 80s, like when he's on Letterman? Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, he's a he's a little out there. He does go a little off the deep end. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that's probably my my favorite scene. What yeah. about you? Um. Well, before I jump into mine, I mean, you talk about them going into the manure truck. What is a rent? What is a manure truck just doing in the middle of town? By the way, 
I know it's a nitpicky thing, but dude, yeah. you gotta sometimes you gotta stop. You gotta chit chat. You gotta talk to your friends before you go out into the. Is he across the street getting a milkshake? Probably while he's shoveling shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think so. Anyway, my my favorite scene is uh, it's it's a little thr- Chris Christopher Lloyd. What he does in this scene to me is why it makes it my favorite. Where he has find he's built the model. And he's describing the plan to Marty. He's like, I, I apologize for the, the crudity of the model. I didn't have time to build it to scale or to paint it. There's just something about like the, the anal retentiveness of his character just That's slays me. And then after after it going it goes wrong and the car lights on fire and the car goes zipping off down the, the other end of the garage and then the lights the the cloth the, the, the I think it's the like rag. oil rags. Yeah, it's like yeah. a rag, it's like an oily rag, he just lights it on fire and what he does with his face Everything that Christopher Lloyd does with his face in, in the movie is brilliant. Like, especially when he's up on the clock tower and everything's like one more thing goes wrong. That's yeah. the great thing about the end of this film, about how much, it, how long it keeps you on the edge of your seat because it's just one more thing going wrong. But the, what he does with his face in the end of that scene when that oily rag lights on fire, just, yeah. it slays me every time. So there's a, there's, a, there's a theory out there about Doc. And I don't know if you've, if you've heard this one. Have you heard the suicidal Doc theory? No. Okay. So there's this idea because we find out, you know, that he spent his entire family fortune, his his, his you know, his inheritance to to do this. And you get and you get that that in the very opening shot, you know, that his house burned down and there's all, you know, that basically he's not had the best or like, you know, like he's been struggling to do this and it's been like failure after failure. And there's this theory out there that the reason him and Marty stand in front of the DeLorean as it's coming towards him is that it's either going to work and it's a success or it's not and I'm going to go out swinging. Which is awesome, but it's kind of messed up that Marty goes to walk away and he pulls him back in front of the car. Yeah! <laughs> and that the other, and it's not a nitpick, but the, one of the questions I have is how the hell do these two know each other? Which is great you bring that up. So you're a, you're a fan of John Mulaney as well, right? Oh, yeah. So he has a bit in one of his one of his specials where he talks about it because he does a thing in most of his specials now where he'll like go off about some movie like in one his of bit a, on the fugitive is fantastic oh, he like basically reenacts the, the entire last part of that here's movie here's the great thing about that so i i've seen him on tour twice now and i saw him on the last tour the kid gorgeous one and then the one before where he does the fugitive thing i had literally shown liz the fugitive two days before we went and saw him Perfect. so i'm just i'm dying while liz is going what is happening you know, I, you doctored the samples. Oh, it's great! It's so great. But yeah, no. Well, he he brings up that very same thing about how wild must this pitch have been? You know, there's there's Bob Gale, and Robert Zemeckis, and they're trying to pitch this thing to the executives. Like, oh, so these guys they build a time machine. What are they going to do? They're going to go back in time and stop the Kennedy assassination. Or kill Hitler. Yes, I remember this. Now. No, he's going to go back in time and almost sleep with his mom. What? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I do remember. That's on Netflix, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, is that that's not new in town? It's the it's the one. Oh, the comeback. That's on the comeback. Comeback kid. kid? Yeah. Okay, which I think is the same one. He does the fugitive thing at the end. So there, there's a plug for John Mulaney. See those specials if you haven't. They're all on Netflix. Oh, they're so good. Yeah. They're so good. Anything else you want to say? Any uh, the tidbits or. Because we could keep uh, going. I know we could. I, I know this episode could go on and on and on. I, there's another line I really love uh, where Lorraine's dad, you know, he hits Marty instead of George. And he says, another kid jumped out in front of Michael. Like, how many kids are you hitting 
on a weekly basis, dude. Well, you're just a really shitty driver, man. Yeah. Another kid jumped in front of my car. That's oh my god! And then and then Lorraine later, you know, where are my pants? Over there, on my hope chest. That that delivery, and we haven't. I don't think we've talked enough about Leah Thompson. Oh, she's great. She's wonderful in this. She's it's, great. It's a shame she killed her career and, with Howard the Duck. But. And so is Thomas F. Wilson. Biff is such an iconic villain. Yeah, I, I, it's it's great. I mean, every yeah, everybody in the movie is great. I mean, Darth Vader, he is not, but he's still a great great villain i do love the um i mean even the bit parts you know when uh when goldie wilson back in the 50s like you gotta stand up for yourself because i'm gonna make up myself that's why he's gonna i had the thought this last time that if if this movie had been made now or eh, like 10 years ago dave Chappelle would have played that part that guy is just an 80s version of dave Chappelle. Oh, absolutely yeah that's just a weird weird thought i did look up actually i was just out of random curiosity i did wonder when the first when the first African American to be elected mayor was, it was actually a guy named Carl. Uh, excuse me, it was a guy named Carl Stokes, who was a Democrat, who got voted into office in 1967 in Cleveland, Ohio. So there's a, I don't know, nice. maybe it's a useful piece of trivia, maybe not. I love it. It's I don't great. know why my mind went on some random tangent. I'm gonna look up who the first black mayor actually was. That's perfect. There you go. That's a little gift from me to you. Yes, and, and to you, our, our listeners, the last little fun thing that I, I love about the movie is the Twin Pines Mall. Oh, and then how it switches to the Lone Pines Mall? After, when he escapes from the farmers in the 50s, he yep. runs over the guy's pine. Yeah. And all that stuff is great, too. You mutating son of a bitch! Yeah, there's oh, just so God. many little things. Yeah, and that that's exactly, yeah, all of the little details added up. Yeah. You know. And stuff that, you know, you never would have you may not catch it on the first viewing. Back to the Future is one of those films. Yeah, maybe you don't need to see it more than once, but you're missing out on a oh, lot if you don't. You have to. You have. Because there's to no see way this. you can get it all in one viewing. No. Like that that Lone Pine thing. I didn't know that until like ten years ago. Yeah, it was. It, yeah, it was not. It, it, I mean, it wasn't in my first five or ten viewings yeah, of watching that movie. Not. It was yeah, probably in college when I started what you know getting more into film and wanting yeah. to know all the tidbits and little secrets of movies and. Definitely saw that one. The next time I watched it, I was giddy as all hell because I'm like, that's so great. That's so funny that that would change that. Yeah. That's, yeah. Such a, a, one of those stupid little details. We don't need to do this, but we're going to do it anyway. And that's the care. That's the yeah. care and attention that, you know, if you give it focus and meaning, then we'll give it focus and that's, meaning. And that's what I love and respect about Robert Zemeckis as a filmmaker. I kind of f- got disinterested in him as a filmmaker there for a while when he started doing so many of those mocap movies like Polar Express does nothing for me yeah Beowulf was just a what the hell were you thinking yeah um but I'm I'm really happy to see him come back and now he's making I'm not gonna say smaller films but there's certainly a lot of intimacy he's got the new one right with Steve Carell coming out yeah the the Welcome to Marwin call which yeah have you seen that documentary about the real guy no I haven't you absolutely and it seems like that's what he's doing he's he's making you know feature versions of documentaries that he's seen and it's like because obviously he did The Walk as well based on Man on Wire which The Walk I mean that documentary and that movie just tore my heart right out of my chest I haven't seen the movie the documentary is great yeah the documentary is hands down one of the best documentaries I've ever seen but you didn't see Joseph Gordon-Levitt do The Walk it didn't look that good oh is it you are missing out okay that movie is I mean it kind of it's a little manipulative at the end do you want me to tell you I mean obviously you know how it ends in a different podcast (laughs) but Um, no I'm I'm starting to just to, to finish that point I do I am starting to really come back around to respecting Robert Zemeckis as a filmmaker and Flight my god you saw Flight I 
really enjoyed Flight. Flight, is, that was one of my top ten of 2012. Oh, me too. Hands down, that was... I, I thought Denzel keep, was spellbinding. I had given movie. up on Robert Zemeckis at that point. He was like, oh, he's going to do... He's I just going to keep doing these... I had two. I had two. And then Flight just came out of nowhere. I'm like, I can't believe this is a Zemeckis film. Yeah. I didn't know he had this in him. So the last thing I want that I want to say about the movie is that we live in a world where it seems like everything gets remade or sequelized and we're just seeing the same schlock over and over again. I, I, I'm still baffled that we got a new Magnificent Seven based off of Magnificent Seven based off of Seven Samurai. We don't... It, we would seem to be truly out of... Ori- or out of Yeah, we seem to be truly out of original ideas. Never fear. Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale have said that as long as they're alive and have the rights to these movies, there will be no sequel or franchise based... What we have is what we have and nothing else. It'll never be messed with. Can't you won't have Spielberg coming along and changing those guns to walkie-talkies? Not put that around. No Kingdom of Crystal Skull. We're not. We're not doing oh, anything man. else. Let's not open that can. Yeah, this podcast can go on for another hour. No, which we won't do. But <laughs> we have reached that point where we'll ask that fateful question, Ian. <laughs> I don't even want to ask it. Uh, do you think that this movie should be in the book? Sure, why not? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. We'll just throw it in there. Yeah, it can stay. It's it's so good. And this is another one of those movies, I felt the same way about A Matter of Life and Death. This is one where I can't wait for my daughters to get a little bit older and they can kind of get more of the plot to show this movie to. I think it's so much fun. Well, have fun explaining to them what an Oedipus complex is. You know, uh, yeah, I'll give them some version of it. (laughs) Why is he kissing his mom? I'll just say, it's just a movie. Yeah. I'll just that, tone it down. that fixes everything, right? Yeah. It's just well, a movie. You know, until they get a little bit older and then I don't have to explain. And then they'll be like, Dad, why did you show us that terrible movie with this guy making out with his own mom? And I'll be like, I was high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. We hope you're not high listening to this, but if you are, that's okay. Um it's we legal wanna, in this state. We it absolutely is. We want to hear what you think. Now we assume most things will be good, but good or bad, whatever. Please hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. We'd love to hear what you think about the movie. Um, stay tuned for another poll. We are going to have one coming up too. We love we love interacting with you. So we're going to put up another poll for a movie um, to pick between a couple of them. We'd love to hear what you want to hear us talk about. Um, you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. iTunes is huge. Rate and review us. We want all of those rates, rates and reviews. We want to... We want to get some money from this. We want to get ads, and we want to we want to interrupt this halfway through with an ad about Audible or Criterion. Criterion, sponsor us. Oh, that would be that's the dream right there. Yeah, um, but we love doing this, and we're going to keep doing it. So uh, until next time, I am Adam, and I am Ian, and we will see you next week. Bye.